to continue our rewind series. We're going to be talking about heaven and we're going to be answering some questions about heaven because what I've found is that there are people who have a lot of questions about heaven. We don't talk about it a lot. Uh, it's not something that's a part of our everyday conversation, but it is something that people are concerned about and uh, have questions about. And there's proof because if you look at the numbers, let me just ask a question. How many of you have read the book or seen the movie Heaven is for Real? Okay, the book has sold over 80 million copies and the movie, you know, it just came out not too long ago. On the first day, it took in uh, six times more than its original budget of 12 million dollars. People have questions about heaven. Uh, there's another book called Heaven. Uh, it's 90 Days in Heaven, actually. It's written by Don Piper. Don is actually a, a resident of Pasadena. And his book has sold over 5 million copies. And um, it has sold um, copies in like 46 different languages uh, all over the world. And what that tells me is that people all over the world want to know about heaven, what it's going to be like. And I think that we have a lot of questions about it here as well. Uh, when we were on sabbatical just a few weeks ago, my family, we took a four-week sabbatical. We were gone for a month, and we were in Tennessee, and we visited Dollywood. Anybody know what Dollywood is? Okay, Dollywood's a theme park, kind of like Astroworld, except it still exists, right? And um, so we go there, and, and we, we rode all these rides, and we're, we're in, like, my kids went and got in line for this ride. I think there's a picture of it. Um, this is the ride. I didn't take a picture of them because... Um, I, I couldn't find it. We never even saw them come down the, the hill there. But this, I had more fun doing this. I was watching people and the, these grandkids, they were with their grandfather and they were, they were trying to convince their grandfather that they need to ride this ride. And he said, before I ride this ride, I want to see it. Hold that picture right there, okay? I want to see it. So he walks up the hill to go check it out. This is a picture of him walking back down the hill. I snuck a picture of him walking back down the hill. Behind him is the entrance to the ride. Notice he didn't get on the ride, right? He checked it out and he had to make a decision. Hey, this is not for me. And um, it was kind of funny watching them. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that way when it comes to heaven. Before we get all excited and before we get all ramped up about going to heaven, there are a lot of fears. There are a lot of questions. And there are a lot of doubts about heaven. Before we jump on board, we kind of want to walk up the hill and check it out first. We want to get a sneak peek of what am I getting myself into? And I think a lot of people have questions about heaven. They want to know what it's going to be like. And there are some who will be compelled to take the ride. And there will be others who will walk down the hill and walk away. And so today I want us to answer these questions. I want to ask this question What's so great about heaven? And there are some subsequent questions. There are sub-questions that will follow that one question. And I want to try to answer some of those for us today. Um, mind you, I'm not going to answer them all. I um, don't have enough time. You know, I don't preach very long as it is. Thank you. My wife thinks I do. She's the only one. So... Um, I'll try not to keep us too long, but I want everybody to listen. Take, who has a note sheet or needs a note sheet? Anybody need a note sheet? If you'll slip your hand up, we'll grab you one. I want you to be able to take notes today and just follow along. Um, and so we can get an idea about, about heaven. Um, here's the, here's the question. What's so great about heaven? And here's the first answer. Heaven is great because it's out of this world. And the reason it's out of this world is not because 
not just because it's so great, but I'm talking about the essence of what it is and where it is. And so the question is, what is it? Well, there are many figures of speech about heaven that are that's referred to in the Bible. And first, it's called a city. It's called a country. It's uh, referred to as a house and a place and a temple and a throne. And it's it's referred to as glory. It's referred to as our home, that we're not citizens of this world, but our citizenship is in heaven. But throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, it's referred to as a kingdom. And when God took the children of Israel to be his own and to lead them through the wilderness to the promised land, his his goal and his vision was that he was building a kingdom. He even said in Exodus chapter 19, verse five, he says, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he was building a kingdom of sorts. He was building a nation of which he would be the king, unlike any other nation that existed on earth. And so the kingdom vision continued throughout the New Testament. This vision became clear through the preaching of John the Baptist and through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we know that that the message of both was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus taught about the, the kingdom. And he said, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And so he's talking, talking a lot about the kingdom and what that means. And here's what it means in early Christianity terms. The kingdom of heaven referred to two things. It referred first to the person of God and it referred second to the place of God. So kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are interchangeable terms. They mean the same thing. And so I put this on the screen. It's not on your notes, but you can write it down so we can leave it up there for a minute. But heaven is God's dwelling place. Write this down. Heaven is God's dwelling place from where he rules from his throne and where his people will spend eternity with him. That's about as basic of a definition as I could come up with. Heaven is God's dwelling place from where he rules from his throne and where his people will spend eternity with him. And although God is everywhere all the time, his exclusive matchless dwelling place and location, the location of his throne is in heaven. And so that leads us to ask the other question of where is it? Well, if you were to ask a kid, hey, where is heaven? You know what they would do. They'd point up, right? So so basically heaven is up. There, somewhere. We don't really know where exactly it is, but we know that it's up there and there is some proof as to why that would be a natural response of a child because that that heaven is a place somewhere in the sky. And here's some references to that. In Genesis chapter 28, you had this experience that Jacob had with God. And it says that this ladder uh, was set up on earth and it extended into heaven. And at the top of it was the Lord that he stood at the top of this ladder. And so you have this idea of, of looking up and the ladder extending and uh, ascending up into heaven. And so that's one reason why we believe that heaven is up. And then there's another reason. It's the ancient posture of prayer. You know, today we pray and, and when we say, let's, I promise you, every Sunday I say, okay, let's pray. And in unison, heads go down. We, we see prayer, the, the posture of prayer as, as bowing our heads before the Lord. Well, the posture of prayer was many times in, in, in the in the biblical times and biblical days was was to look up. 
And we know that the psalmist in 123 verse verse one, he, he prayed and he lifted up his eyes and he said this. He said, oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. And then Jesus himself, when he prayed, when he blessed the, 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 the fish and the bread that was going to be multiplied to feed the five thousand, says he looked up into heaven and he prayed to the father. And so even Jesus, when he prayed, he looked up into heaven as to address God who is above him and higher than him. And he addressed him in that way. And then there are others. The Bible speaks of the second coming of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that the Lord will descend from heaven. So he's going to come down from heaven. And it says then that we, we who are alive and remain will be caught up. So you hear the term a lot of times, the rapture. That term rapture is nowhere in the Bible. But rapture refers to this right here, the catching up of the people. So we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So in the air, it's it's upward. And then in Revelation chapter four, when Jesus gave John that vision of heaven, he told him, he said, John, come up here. I'm going to show you this. So he called him up. It was an upward call. So the scriptures are pretty clear that heaven is up, but there are still some unanswered questions about where that is. But heaven is so great because it's out of this world and it's it's no longer part of earth. And for many of us, earth represents a pretty good life. And for others, it represents a pretty difficult life, a life of struggle, a life of turmoil, a life of sickness and pain, abuse, and you name it. It, it, it has negative connotation to it. But heaven is higher and far beyond anything that we've ever experienced on earth. So that's that's kind of how we get this idea that heaven is up. And then Paul gives us this idea in in Second Corinthians chapter 12 as he describes the third heaven and he's speaking in the third person as he as he talks about this person that he knew that was caught up into the third heaven. But he didn't want to brag himself about having experienced that. And so, hey, there's this this guy that I knew who actually was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw things that uh, couldn't even speak about. And so Paul refers to heaven as being the third heaven. And you say, well, what's the third heaven? Well, think of it like this. The first heaven is what we see. It's, it's our sky. It's our, it's our atmosphere here. It's the earthly atmosphere. And then the second heaven would be like outer space. It's where the planets are. And then the third heaven, it is far beyond that. It's far beyond the moon. It's far beyond Mars. It's far beyond Saturn. That's over three billion miles away from Earth. It's, it's far beyond that. It's a, Completely different universe that the mind can't even fathom. So heaven is up and it literally exists. It is a literal place like Houston is a literal place, except there's no humidity and uh, it's not that hot. It's more like San Diego. Have you ever been there? Amen. So it's like perfect there. Not the people, but the climate. And uh, so it's a perfect place. But it exists and it's a real place that one day we'll get to experience. And so the first thing is heaven is out of this world. And the second thing, the reason heaven is so great is because it's a perfect paradise. And when I think of paradise, I think of things like this. I think of uh, I think of the beach. I think of palm trees. I think of the a nice breeze and the, the water uh, coming up to the shore and and the, the perfect water, the, the emerald greenish blue water and it's just perfect it's beautiful and when i think of a paradise that's 
the picture that I get in my mind. But paradise is a term that describes existence as positive, as harmonious, and eternal. I see talking. Y'all see the guy sitting under the waterfall? I like that picture. But paradise is a place that's eternal. It's peaceful. There's prosperity. That's what we see as a paradise. But paradise is used three times in the New Testament. Jesus called it paradise. He referred to heaven as paradise in Luke 23 when he was having an interaction with a thief who was hanging on the cross beside him. And that thief said to Jesus, he said, I believe. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He's talking about paradise that will this earth is going to is going to pass away and this suffering is going to pass away and injustice is going to pass away. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord and it's going to be perfect. It's going to be a paradise. And that's how Paul described it in Second Corinthians 12 when he was caught up into that third heaven. And that's how John described it when he recorded the words of Jesus to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. But heaven is a paradise. And here are some of the things that that Revelation 22 says about it. it says that the sun will shine there. The Son of God is the light there. There will be trees and mountains and water. There will be streets of gold. There will be a river like crystal that flows from the throne of God. It's never dark there. It's, there's, no, there's no night there. There's the tree of life. There is the throne of God and God Himself who rules upon it and reigns upon it. Then there's healing there. There is quenching for those who are thirsty. There is a filling for those who are hungry, and there is healing for those who are sick and needy. There's no crime, there's no addiction, there's no abuse, there's no slavery, there's no doubt, there's no fear. Perfect peace, perfect joy, and comfort. And he says that he'll wipe away the tears from everybody. Does that sound like something that lines up with what you've heard? You ever heard that before? Well, when I think of paradise, and I, I, I think of going to a place like that, my first question is, like, who's going to be there? Am I going to be by myself? Am I going to be alone? Am I going to know people? I mean, tell me a little bit more about what that's going to be like. And so I want to talk about who's going to be there. The first thing that I, I see in Scripture is that the saints will be there. The saints will be there. And um, when we think of saints, we have taken that term and we have turned it into those who live live good lives. I mean, they they've never done anything wrong. They just kind of live by the book, and they've walked the line. And uh, that's our idea of, of what a saint is. But Revelation chapter 14, if you ever want a definition for a saint, Revelation chapter 14 gives it to us. I didn't write down the verse, but I think that it's in verse like 12, or somewhere right there, 12 or 13, but it says that saints are those who keep the commandments of Jesus, or of God, they keep the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. That's what a saint is. A saint is one who keeps the commandments of God and they keep the faith of Jesus. It's very, very clear there. So that means that the saints are those who chose to repent of their sin and, and to follow Christ on this earth. They were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's what a saint is. And they overcome death and therefore they live forever. So the saints are going to be in heaven. And then second, there are there's another group of people that's going to be there. Some friends and family will be there. Some friends and family members will be there. Spouses and children and brothers and sisters and parents and grandchildren 
will be there. Another question is, is will we be married in heaven? And the answer to that is a clear no. We won't be married in heaven. There is a marriage that will take place, and that marriage takes place between Jesus Christ and His bride, that is the church. And the Bible says this in Mark chapter 12. And that causes some people some uh, anxiety, and that takes other people to a place of peace and ecstasy to know they're not going to be married in heaven. Okay? But here's what the Bible says about that. Jesus addressed it when He was asked that question. He says, They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And basically what that means is like angels in heaven, it doesn't mean you get your wings. It just means you have a spiritual body. You're different, but you're recognizable. And and so you're, you're recognizable, and uh, that's... Um, who knows what that's going to look like? But Second Corinthians or First Corinthians 13 says that we'll be known as we are known. And it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then in heaven face to face. Now I know in part, Paul says, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so the nature of people and relationships here on earth, it hinders just how deeply we can know someone. And one pastor said it this way. He says, our vision is blocked by human limitation. And what is our limitation? Well, we can call it a lot of things, but really what it boils down to is we're hindered by our sinful nature. We're, we're, we don't share everything that we are. We aren't completely open and honest. I would say that we all have a character and integrity problem because no one's perfect. There are some things we hide. But in heaven, all those things are going to be opened up and we're going to be completely free to share who we are and to know and to be fully known. And um, all of our imperfections will be gone. All the pride will be gone. All of the aging will be gone. All of our weaknesses will be gone. All of our diseases and the disasters, they'll all be removed as well as other marks of sin that exist in this life. But heaven doesn't abolish our personality. We will be known as we are known. And I believe this, that we'll know each other so completely and far beyond our limited capacity here, there'll be no conflict, there'll be no fighting, there'll be no slander, there'll be no gossip, there'll be no hurt. None of that will exist in heaven. Faith and hope will be fulfilled and love will be perfected. So we'll know as we are known here. But then there's a deeper question, and that is, what about children? If this is a paradise, will children be in heaven? There are a lot of questions about that. And I say, yes, children will be in heaven. And I believe it's a big question. It's a big question I've always had in, in my mind about people who die and, and, and slip off into eternity. Because I've been in ministry now for a little over 20 years. I've done, I've done what I feel like has been a lifetime's worth of funerals. And, you know, when you do funerals and when you talk to family, everybody's going to heaven. I mean, everybody believes their loved ones have gone to heaven. I mean, it's like we're like have this universal theology that that, you know, we talk about a hell, but that really doesn't exist because in the end, God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven. Some people believe that I, I do not believe that I believe in a literal hell. But I believe that as, as I do these these funerals, I always wonder, do they really go to heaven? Because, man, when you hear the family members talk, I mean, they could do no wrong. This person who was what had abandoned their family and was not a part of their life for years, all of a sudden become the greatest saint that ever lived. And um, you wonder, do they really go to heaven? And so you walk out not really knowing because only God really knows. 
But there are times in my life and there have been times in my life where I've had to deal with death, the death of infants, the death of children, and leaves people heartbroken. And I feel like that I am 100% sure that children go to heaven when they die. And so there are three, there, there are three categories that I put them in. And first one is infants. Death of those who died as babies or in the womb. And in the womb, I'm talking about a stillborn death. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I had a friend who called and talked to him in years. He was like a brother growing up. He called me and, um, they were pregnant and she had, they thought the baby was fine. And all of a sudden the baby, uh, heart stopped beating and there was a stillbirth. And I went and did that funeral. We had to bury that baby. And I was very confident, 100% confident that that baby is going to be in heaven when they get there. They'll see that baby again. I'm talking about those who've had miscarriages, those who have had abortions. I believe that those babies were souls created by God and planted into the womb. God said to Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you. I had a plan for you. And God knows that child in the mother's womb and whether or not that child's life comes to fruition on this earth or not, that person has a soul, and I believe that soul will be in heaven. So I hope that brings you some comfort today. And there's another category that I, I say are the innocent, and I refer to them as the children who are alive. I'm talking like two, three, four, five, and and I don't know how far that goes, but I believe in an age of accountability because all of us are accountable for our sin. But sin is this. The Bible says that he who knows what to do and doesn't do it, that that is sin. And I believe there are children who know what to do and they don't do it, but they don't understand sin at all. They don't understand God. They don't understand grace. They don't understand mercy. They have, they have no ability of having any fathomable response and understanding of what that means. And so I believe those children are protected. What is the age of accountability? I have no idea. It can be different for everybody. So this is what I encourage you to do, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself and bring your kids along and teach them about sin. Teach them about God. Teach them about confession. Teach them about repentance. Teach them about what it means to make a personal decision to follow Christ on their own volition and not based on the traditions of their mother and father. But you lead them there and let them make that decision on their own. That's why we do not baptize babies. That's why we are reluctant to baptize little children. Because we want to make sure that we haven't planted a seed of confusion in the hearts and lives of these kids. So that when they're older, they can make the decision for themselves to follow the Lord. And so the in, there, there are the infants and the innocent that I believe will be in heaven. And there's biblical basis for these. Um, Bathsheba gave birth to an illegitimate child that belonged to King David. And that baby died. And David, it says that he confessed his confidence that his son was with God and that he would see God, uh, the child again one day. And then in Luke chapter 18, Jesus affirmed that the kingdom of God belonged to the little children and talked about having a childlike faith. And it leads us to believe that heaven will be populated 
with children. And so they're the infants, they're the innocent. And then there's another category that I call the incapable. And when, I, when I'm referring to the incapable, I'm talking about those who lack the mental capacity to discern and decide for themselves and to live life here on earth on their own. Doesn't matter how old they are, I believe that there are those who are incapable of coming into a relationship with Christ based on their own decision. They cannot understand. And I believe that those will be in heaven as well. You might have a different view. But um, I hope that this gives you some comfort to know that heaven will be paradise because of those who will be there. It'll be like a reunion. And so, heaven is great based on those facts. Here's the last thing I want to share with you is that heaven is so great because it's a celebration that lasts forever. It's a celebration that lasts forever. We understand celebration because we celebrate when people get married. When two people who love one another, they get married, we come and we celebrate. We celebrate new life when babies are born. We celebrate that with the families. We celebrate when our team wins. Yeah, not yesterday. (laughs) Or Thursday. We don't have a lot to celebrate right now. But we understand celebration. We celebrate reunions when loved ones are reunited to back into relationship together. And I know you've seen them, but have you have you read or seen the stories of when the soldiers come home from uh, the battlefield and they're reunited with their families? Man, those things like choke me up. I mean, they just like get me, they hit me right in the heart. And one of the best ones I saw was when this guy came back from Iraq and his son was in high school and he played football. Maybe you've seen this. And they, they were, I don't know if it was a game or practice, but everybody was dressed up, you know, in their uniforms, helmets and pads and everything. And they, uh, the, the, the team and the coaches, they dressed the dad up in the football uniform. And when he took off his helmet, his son just, I mean, it almost chokes me up just thinking about it. His son just went crazy and just, just hugged him. And they just held each other tight for so long. There was another one when this little girl was her birthday and they're about to celebrate her birthday and she got this gift and the gift was wrapped in a big, huge box with a big bow on top. And her mom was saying, hey, go ahead and open it, open it. And she kind of, you know, she kept looking back at her mom and she finally opened it. And inside this big, huge box was her daddy. And golly, it just gets me right here. And then dad gets out of the box and he picks up his daughter and daughter holds on forever. We understand celebration. That's what it's going to be like in heaven. Those reunions are going to be awesome. Can't even fathom what that's going to be like. But there's something that far exceeds that reunion. It is a reunion in celebration of heaven in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In, in heaven, celebration is a big deal. Luke 15, verse 7 and 10, it says that the angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner repents and comes into a relationship with Christ here on earth. Those who overcome and persevere and endure in this life, I believe that they will be celebrated. They'll receive the crown of life in heaven. The Bible tells us about that in James chapter 1, in verse 12. But we won't necessarily get caught up in our own rewards and our own achievements Because there's a greater celebration. Did you know that the greatest form of celebration is worship? Worship equals celebration. Life is worship. This isn't worship 
Life is worship. Everything we do is about worship. Everything that we do here is preparing us for worship there because it's going to be one big celebration. Revelation 4, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. In chapter 19 of Revelation, it says in verse 6, this is John speaking. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. And we sang that a few minutes ago. And as we were singing, may I tell you what, you guys, you're getting better and better every week because I was sitting there listening to the sound of not our worship team singing, but I could hear our people. I could hear you singing in one. And basically it was Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's why we sing that song. It's preparing us for singing it in heaven. You're getting really good here. I can't imagine how you're going to sound there. It's going to be beautiful. But heaven, it's out of this world. It's a paradise. And it's a big celebration. It's a celebration of Jesus Christ. Of who He is and what He's done. Jesus Christ, the overcomer, the champion. Jesus Christ will get the crown. Jesus Christ will get the gold. Jesus will get the ring. And Jesus is the one who's going to get the parade and the praise from His people. That's the celebration we're going to experience in heaven. And I look forward to it. I can't wait. I mean, I would go today. I really would. Because I'm excited about heaven. It's drawing closer and closer and closer. And so there's an action plan. I'm going to take just three or four minutes here to give you this action plan. And there are three things here that you need to write down. Because we, we all want to, to know about heaven. I believe, I believe that if you believe in heaven, you want to go there. And if you didn't when you came in today, I hope you do now. And so here's the action plan. Number one, remove your doubts about going to heaven. And there are a couple of reasons why we doubt the afterlife. There are a couple of reasons we doubt heaven. And first is that we, we feel unsettled and unclear about it. We're unclear about it. We have a lot of questions about it. How do you get in? Uh, who goes there? Well, the Bible says that God sent Jesus to the earth to give us the message, the gospel message, and to give us himself to bring it into clear view. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, says, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There it is. So we can know, we can remove all doubt. Jesus came to give it to us. He came to give us the way. Heaven, listen, heaven so many times and eternal life so many times becomes this thing that we feel like we have to work for. But heaven's not based on our performance. It's based on God's promise. We don't have to work our way there. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, 
It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of not of works, lest you boast. For we're a workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We come into a relationship with Christ. We produce good works. We can't produce good works without being in a relationship with Christ. Second thing I want you to see is that you have to replace your anxieties. Replace your anxieties with thoughts of heaven. Hey, I told you last week, I deal with a lot of fear. I have a lot of fear as I see my kids growing up. Um, a lot of fear of them becoming independent of me. But really, we should have this vision that our kids don't become independent. We just shift their dependence. They become independent or interdependent on God and they still keep that relationship with us and but we have to let them live and make their own decisions sometimes that creates a lot of fear but when we have fear we replace those fears and anxieties with thoughts of heaven whether it's with our children or whether it's finances or whether it's a relationship or whether it's about your your job and your security and in that in that realm we have a lot of anxiety Colossians chapter 3 says if you have been raised with Christ Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So that's in Colossians chapter 3. So we tend to think a lot about other things. We get distracted by this life. And that's why we don't think a whole lot of the other one. But when we get full of fear and anxiety. Set your mind on the things of heaven and know that this world is not your home. And as the hymn says, you're just passing through, all right? Your citizenship is in heaven. And so deal with those fears and anxieties. Think about things in heaven. Remove the doubts about going to heaven. And number three, refocus your efforts on treasures in heaven. When Jesus began his ministry, that's one thing he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus addressed this issue about laying up treasure in heaven. Because only treasure in heaven is going to last. Only treasure in heaven is going to last. And you say, hey, what are those treasures? Well, there are really two treasures that are going to last forever. Number one is your character. It's the essence of who you are. It's the spirit, the soul that's within you that will reside in heaven. That's going to last forever. The character is it's who you are. It's, it's, it's your nature. And so our job is, is what, what is the mission? What is our commandment? What did Jesus say that he would, that he would greatly command us to do above all else? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and love people. And so if you say, if, if loving God and loving people are my purpose on earth, then man, I've gotta, I've gotta watch how I act. I've gotta watch how I talk and, how I treat other people. I have to respect them and love them and be kind to them because I am sowing a seed into them to show them the love of God through me. I am planting a seed for a heavenly crop. Amen? That's what we're doing. So your character lasts forever. And second, people last forever. 
Other people, look around. The people beside you, they last forever. And we want to experience heaven with them. And so love them, be kind to them, lead them, set a standard for them, be a model of the gospel of Jesus Christ for them. Because when we really love others, we want them to experience heaven just as we are. Because here's what I see every day. I see that every day people hurt. People hurt physically. People are dying. They're not just dying physically, but they're dying emotionally and mentally and spiritually. People are desperate for love and care, community. People are desperate for those things. And as the people of God, we're called and commanded to to give it and to lead them to heaven. We can't ultimately make people happy and we can't meet every need, but we can lead them to the one who can. The Bible says in Revelation 21 that He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, He said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. The Word of God is true. And the Lord speaks it in His Word. There's uncertainty and the Word is unclear. Sometimes because we're just not open. We're so wrapped up in our own life here that we can't even begin to think of life there. But God's Word is true. And God's Word is faithful. And God will bring us to that place in His due time. Amen? Let's pray together.